Hi there, it's Matt here, and welcome back to the podcast. Welcome back to another AMA episode, Ask Me Anything episode. I am, as ever, joined by my spectacular colleague at the Center for Human Sleep Science here at UC Berkeley. That is Dr. Etty Ben-Simone, the exceptional, the wonderfully unorthodox in her brilliance of science, but her truly first-rate, good-natured, marvelous personality. Welcome back to the show, Etty. Hi, everyone. Great to be here. Okay, so let's get straight to it. What do we have? I bet everyone is interested. What is your sleep like, Dr. Walker? (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) And I say, oh, no, not because I'm ashamed or embarrassed, not at all. It's funny. I really resist talking about myself and my life in public, especially my personal life. I think other public scientists and public intellectuals, like two of my dearest friends, Peter Atier and Andrew Huberman, they're so much better at it than me. They're so much freer. They're less withdrawn or timid. And I don't quite know why if wishing to keep my personal life private is (laughs) some deep-rooted issue. Maybe it is. Maybe I'm just trying to convince myself of that and I should convert to their model. But I think it's simply because, in truth, I'm naturally a very shy person by nature. And part of it is I just don't want to burden people in the public with Matt-related things. I think think there's so much more interesting stuff to talk about in science and medicine, and particularly in sleep science, than to hear about me and my life. It's infinitely more fascinating, not to mention so much more important, but I should probably at least try to answer some part of this question, correct? You know, it's like asking the priest about their faith. You are, <laughs> you are the slip priest. <laughs> and, and I am, uh, I have a very strong faith and belief in this thing called sleep science. But here goes. Overall, to the question, how do I sleep? I would say I sleep well. I would say I don't sleep well necessarily always, and that has not always been the case. Let me break those down into three things, which is sleeping well, not always being able to sleep well, and it's not always been the case that I have slept well. Right now, in general, I fall asleep quite quickly. I stay asleep soundly. Perhaps a bathroom break or too, as I complete more trips around the sun, it seems. But yes, I would, for the most part, I would say I fall asleep fine. I stay asleep. In terms of my routine, I go to bed around the same time most every night, and I wake up around the same time. I will usually wake up naturally, although I do have an alarm set, and I'm happy to speak about how much sleep and When I sleep, if you really want to push my discomfort a little bit more. Pushing. (laughs) I knew that would be the answer. I would say that I routinely get somewhere between about seven 
hours and 45 minutes to close to eight-ish hours. Now, again, I'm not suggesting that is the sweet spot for everyone's sleep. The recommendation is somewhere between seven to nine hours of sleep. And hopefully you can all understand what your sleep need is. And we've had a podcast about what sleep need represents. Objectively, I use something called the Aura Ring. And we discussed that in the last AMA about sleep trackers. And again, full disclosure there, I've been wearing it for many, many years prior, but I ended up joining the company to try to help them out. So I am one of the scientific advisors for the company. So say what you like about any advice that I have as to why I wear the Aura, but it is my preferred sleep tracker. And I would usually say that my scores are in my sleep scores, which range from one to a hundred, hundred being best, are usually sort of somewhere in the low nineties. And that's not necessarily always consistent though. So I would say I go to bed at the same time. I wake up at the same time, as I've mentioned before, in one rare event of being personal. When I spoke about chronotypes, I told people that I am desperately boring, wonderfully pedestrian, and remarkably vanilla because I am what we call a neutral. I am neither an extreme morning type or evening type, but kind of somewhere sit in between. I would say that I'm usually in bed by between 10, 30, 11, and then, as I said, waking up naturally sometime around about seven o'clock. I do have an alarm set just because like everyone probably listening, I do have a job, <laughs> several jobs, and I have to make sure that I don't go, but I usually naturally wake up, but my alarm is set for 7.13 in the morning. It is. <laughs> you like prime numbers, I see. <laughs> well, it's set for 7.13 just because it always perplexed me, even as a child, that people would state times that seem to be nicely equally divided when time is in these minor increments that is arbitrary. So they would say, oh, I could meet you at either 7.15 or 7.30. Why don't we just say I could meet you at 7.23? Because in my <laughs> mind, that's just that's just the same. And I'm so peculiar. I'm such an odd duck. No wonder mm -hmm. the, the world has probably dislocated itself from me and should rightfully disabuse themselves of me. But that's the way I see it. So my alarm set for 7.15. I so just think point. you like prime numbers. That's my <laughs> That's, a, again, always coming to uh, the table with the diplomatic kind answer, but I'm bloody odd person. Anyway. One of the partners of today's podcast is Levels. And Levels is a really remarkable company, and it helps you see how food affects your health, and you can track your blood sugar levels both during the day, and <laughs> thankfully for someone like me who is sleep-obsessed, you can also track it throughout the night. I started using Levels, gosh, it was probably about two years ago now, because I wanted to understand how my body's response to what I was eating moment to moment was impacting my sleep. I can very much say from personal experience, it's been so informative and quite powerfully enlightening. It's changed both what I eat in general, but especially what I eat in the evenings at a circadian time when 
I already knew that your body was less efficient at regulating blood sugar. And that was really interesting to see exactly that effect in my own levels data and then change how I was eating. And for me, it's not only about exploring my sleep and my blood glucose, but doing this with the continued desire to try to de-risk unwanted health conditions such as diabetes and obesity that are linked to poor blood sugar control. Head over to their website and check it out for yourself. Would you like a discount? <laughs> if so, you will get two free months of levels. And all you have to do is just use the link levels, that's L-E-V-E-L-S, levels.link forward slash Matt Walker. Again, that's levels.link slash Matt Walker. There is a discount waiting for you. And now let's get back to the show. That's the first thing. So how do I sleep in general? Sleep pretty well. It's not always consistent though. I would say that occasionally I will have a bad night of sleep. And if I were to think about it, why do I have bad nights of sleep? I think I can probably bring it down to at least two main causes. The first is that my mind is just usually too excited by ideas. And most of them are usually scientific. I think many of us at the sleep center and Etty very much so I've observed on the day-to-day we are just so excited about science. Desperate nerd activity. I get so thrilled and just radically activated by science. And the danger is that if I'm starting to read papers or I'm getting ideas late at night, it can be really hard for me to fall asleep because they are still flooding around in my mind. And in fact, so much so that I now have to... <laughs> I like to read, but usually the things I read are also things that activate my mind. So I couldn't really read. And now I will do a two combination approach to try to prevent that first thing from happening, which is that I will force myself, quote unquote, and I literally do because I'm just not someone by nature who does this. I will force myself to watch some kind of stock standard television, like not mindless television necessarily, but but not science related. <laughs> not science related. I usually just watch, you know, Netflix series or anything on streaming channels that's good and decent. It's usually not too activating, not too violent. Or I try to stay away from sci-fi, even though it's my preferential. I love it because then I start thinking about science and then I and you can see the problem there. And then I always now meditate for 10 minutes once I'm in bed. And I've spoken about that before too. And I've actually partnered with Calm to do some things. I've done a sleep story with Calm and a little mini series on educational series with them. And I love their app. And they have ended up coming on board to sponsor the show, as people have heard as well. But I've been using them for many, many years. Love the, the service. So those are the two things that I use to try to degrade the over excitement of mind that I can sometimes suffer. That's the first of the two main reasons, I would say. The second is probably common across many more people, and here I am probably very typical, which is when I'm stressed, I would say that I struggle with sleep overall. And maybe, Eddie, you can tell me, you can say, actually, I'm going to disagree with you, but I would say I'm a pretty laid back person and it's hard pressed to probably tell when I'm stressed. I don't express it 
outwardly. I'm pretty good at hiding it, probably bottling it up is more <laughs> more the nature of which uh, hashtag British pathology. <laughs> That's um, what I was thinking. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's just the British way. <laughs> Stiff upper lip. You don't speak about it. And that's obviously problematic because when anyone does that and when I do that, it is a champagne cork that is just ready to pop at any moment. When does it usually pop for most of us? Well, usually does that when we are not busy anymore, but when our head hits the pillow and we start to try to do some kind of reflection, it comes flooding in this tsunami of anxiety, this Rolodex of anxiety, and then sleep can be a struggle for me. So I really try to best manage my stress as much as I can. And then the final part of the three-part equation, which was, yes, I sleep usually very well, but not always and have not always slept well, I would say related very much to stress. There have probably been two historical bouts of pretty serious insomnia that I've had in my life. Luckily, it was insomnia that didn't last for you know years. It was really only maybe weeks, if not months. And both circumstances are what we would call reactive insomnia. I've spoken about that on the long mini series I did on insomnia, meaning that they were a reaction to a life trigger. And in both circumstances, they were stressful life experiences. So I think think that's the summary about eight, eight and a quarter hours time in bed, sleep efficiency based on my aura ring. It's usually in the nineties, usually sleeping pretty close to eight hours. So you practice what you preach. I do. And it sounds hokey, doesn't it? It sounds kind of icky, almost like you're an Instagram influencer who is trying to pretend that they're doing what they're suggesting. Honestly, it is purely selfish because if you knew everything that I know and and certainly everything that Etty knows because she knows much more about sleep than I do, but if you knew everything that I did about how a lack of sleep will impact your health and your lifespan, you would do nothing other than prioritize your sleep. So I'm being entirely selfish. I'm not trying to be a poster child for good sleep or practice what I preach. It is purely selfish. I do not wish to die any sooner than I have to, and I don't wish to live with disease and sickness for any longer than I have to. And the best free health insurance policy that I know of that is largely painless and that I can administer every single 24 hours is this thing called a full night of sleep. And so, that's yeah. the reason I invest in it. So I suppose I've got two questions for you, Etty. First is, would you share the same? <laughs> no, by the way, I'm not pushing. I'm not saying, well, you push me to do it. So you need. You don't need to do it at all. <laughs> but I'm sure listeners would love to. It's less about me and it's more about them. And I don't know if we should speak about probably finish up with morning routines. Everyone seems to be very much interested in and I'm obsessed with morning routines and some of my other dear colleagues have done great jobs in enunciating their morning routines. Colleagues like Tim Ferriss and again, Andrew Huberman and Peter Atier as well. So happy to speak about that. But firstly, what about your sleep? What is your 
sleep routine because I know from lab meetings when we've gone around the room and I've asked people, let's all go around the room and let's show our cards. Uh, yeah. I know a little bit about your sleep routine. Tell us about it. It was like it's a sleep support group. We all shared <laughs> and accepted each other. It was like a sleep uh, salon. It was kind of like, an, <laughs> and then for some people, it became an intervention uh, situation. But yes, not for you. Go for it. Yeah, I'm actually not vanilla, unfortunately. I'm a night owl. I would typically not fall asleep before midnight or 1 a.m. And I do love and need around eight and a half hours of sleep. So I would wake up around 10. And I have had periods of my life where I also struggled with sleep, especially when I was studying sleep. Ironically enough, you mm. have to stay up when you do sleep deprivation studies. And it really messes with so much of your physiology and your sleep and your circadian rhythm. So there were periods where I feel that I taught my brain to wake up really quickly because there is a study and there might be an emergency. And it just takes time for the brain to let go of that notion that you have to go from a zero to a hundred the minute your eyes are opened. And I think that kind of messed me up <laughs> for a bit. So I had months where I would wake up and not be able to go to sleep. And here too, I also found that relaxation and meditation techniques really help to regain that ability to fall back asleep. My sleep score is slightly worse than yours, Matt. <laughs> uh, I have a different app. Uh, I use Fitbit and it's usually around 85. I'm really happy when I get to a 90. But uh, the thing is, like we discussed in the episode about the sleep trackers, I can tell by now what my sleep score would be the minute I wake up because you kind of get a sense already of what the algorithm might be picking up and how you feel about your sleep. And in that sense, I'm really happy I have a sleep tracker because I do feel that it helps me understand what I need to do better to get that better sleep. And regularity really helped me too. I used to be a person like many night owls that would fight against or not be able to get the sleep in the time that they need during the week, so they would sleep in during the weekend. And I used to be one of those uh, weekend warriors. <laughs> yeah, I stopped doing that. I really tried to regularize my sleep timing. Did it, it help? helps. Yeah, yeah, it helps a lot. It, just, it really is. And I think people think of it as just such a simple, quote unquote, hack, and I really dislike that phrase. And you think, well, could that really make a difference? Could that really sort out my sleep and help me with my sleep? It really can. And it's yeah, it usually really when can. people say, what's the single, if you could only offer one piece of advice, I think it would be regularity. And then we should probably come on to morning routines. I'll let you go first. Go for, do you have a morning routine? Are you prototypical or do your mornings vary? I don't like mornings, and I think that <laughs> it's a very As a typical... night owl, that is your right, that is your biological, absolute, <laughs> fundamental right, and you should not feel sorry for it. You should embrace it and celebrate it. It's great not to like mornings. Yeah, you think it's okay? Absolutely. Because there's nothing, I mean, I really understand people who love the morning hours, but it's just so traumatic for me from years of sleep loss, so... Well, what's I, interesting too is, you know, 
we often say to someone, well, it is a bit shameful that you're waking up 10 o'clock in the morning. We'll chastise people for waking up at 10 o'clock in the morning. Why don't we chastise people for going to bed early in the evening? This is such a double standard. (laughs) What's the difference, really? The thing is that in Israel, you might see both. Then you ask yourself, so when do people sleep if they're not supposed to go to sleep before midnight and they're not supposed to wake up after seven? (laughs) That's not a lot of time to sleep. (laughs) I just try to respect all circadian types, you know, those that want to go to bed at nine, those that wake up at noon, as long as you get your sleep. very inclusionist at the sleep center. So if anyone feels that they are outcast based on their chronotype, come visit us. We will bring you into the fold. We'll give you a safe space. (laughs) Yes, exactly. So you don't like mornings. So tell us a little bit about your routine. And then I I suppose I should probably say a, a bit of the same and then we can finish up. Once you realize kind of your chronotype, I also know which time of the day is best for me to do the kind of heavy lifting, thinking, writing, designing studies. So usually that's not the morning. So I would leave the morning to maybe read and answer some emails and do these kind of things before I dive into the work. In terms of food, I don't have breakfast. I've realized that it just takes time for my body to wake up physiologically. So I just dive right into the emails that I have when I wake up. Sometimes I do a workout even before my lunch. And I really like that. That gives me an energy boost for the rest of the day. Very interesting. Thank you for sharing. What about yours? Yeah, so usually I will probably wake up, as I said, around seven or if for whatever reason, if I've been out with friends, I've gone to bed a little bit later and I do, you know, enjoy life or go out with friends or go to a performance. You know, I like different forms of performance art. And if I get back a little bit late, maybe it's 20 minutes later than I would normally be in bed. Maybe my alarm goes off. I wake up. I'll usually have perhaps one either cup of tea or I'll have a decaffeinated coffee. And i Again, now I'm realizing, actually, I've said a lot about my personal life. I think before I've mentioned (laughs) on the caffeine episode that I am, unfortunately, one of the slow caffeine metabolizers, so I am sensitive to caffeine. So I usually have a decaffeinated coffee. And then during that phase, I will just do triage. So because I have a number of different roles that I, I work in, including my stock standard, very cherished role as a professor at UC Berkeley, Lots of different emails have come in from different time zones around the world. I will usually spend that time to do triage to try to find out the high priority things and then also just check to see if there's anything on the Slack channels that have come through that are mission critical and I will triage them. And then I will put that aside. I'll work out and I'll work out either fasted or I'll try to force myself to have about 150 calories of protein And then I will go and do a zone two cardio session, usually on a spin bike, usually probably around 35 to 45 minutes. I will (laughs) mention this again on, I think the podcast I did with Andrew Huberman. I will try to see if I can find a spin bike at the gym that is facing windows and that is facing east Mm. so I can get as much daylight as possible, even though there is... You know, there is a glass solar distortion that will happen. So it's nowhere near as potent as if you are actually in the wild, in nature, but it's still some of it. I'll occasionally do a HIIT workout too, just to throw it in there for my cardiovascular system. But I typically don't do 
cardio necessarily for weight management, as my friend Peter Rattier has often and clearly demonstrated to folks through the evidence. It's really just about training your cardio metabolic fitness. And that's the reason I do it rather than calorie burning. And then I'll usually do weightlifting for about 50 minutes to an hour. And I focus on what's called hypertrophy training, which is about gaining muscle size rather than necessarily strength training. And then once I finish that, I'll go back to focusing on work and then I'll work throughout the day. And <laughs> as you probably know from the Slack messages, Etty, I'm sorry, I will probably work through until about eight or nine or sometimes a little bit later. I usually have to cut myself off. Like you, Etty, I just love what I do. I could work 24 seven if I didn't have to sleep, but I know I have to because I read some idiotic book. You love it, admit it. <laughs> <laughs> and then, as I said, then I go into my downtime where I'll, in the last hour before bed, all gadgets are switched off. Half of the lights are shut down in the house, if not more, to start the darkness. That really helps me. And then the last 30 minutes, I'll be watching some of that quote-unquote mindless television. And then off I go, meditate for 10 minutes once in bed and often away to hopefully resplendent slumber. So that would be it. A partner of today's podcast is an alternative to coffee that I've been using myself. As I think I probably mentioned on this podcast before, I am one of the individuals who is quite sensitive to caffeine based on my genetics, but I still like a similar beverage jump start to each day and I do get sort of sleep inertia and it's nice to have something that can lift you out of that but without the jitters or all of that caffeine crash that some people may experience that is where the supporter of today's podcast comes in mud water and it is spelt m-u-d-w-t-r so mud water it is a popular coffee alternative and mud water will blend cacao with varied mushrooms, and it has only a fraction of the caffeine of a cup of coffee, but it provides this, it's a really interesting, just sort of natural lift is the best way I can describe it. It's very pleasant, and it has been working a treat for me. It also has all of the things that you want. It is 100% USDA certified organic. It is non-GMO, gluten-free, vegan, and kosher. If you would like to get a free offer, most people do, you can get a free frother, and that's one of those implements that you put in, and it creates that lovely sort of froth on the top of your drink. And you can get some free samples of the coconut creamer, you can just go on over to Mud Water, that is M-U-D-W-T-R dot com forward slash Matt Walker. You will get the freebies. So again, that is M-U-D-W-T-R dot com forward slash Matt Walker, and you will get your free frother and your free coconut creamer. Okay, let's get back to the show. I have a bit of a follow-up. I'm curious. I've been it's so not, I've been not, so open. I'm, you've been wonderful. You've been wonderful. I really there's probably like two or three people left who are listening now because I'm just so boring, but you go for it. <laughs> I don't think it's too personal. It's more about I'm curious whether 
we breathe sleep, we talk about it, we read it, we think about it. Did you ever feel that the knowledge that you accumulated changed how you sleep or or kind of different routines? Are you updating those or did something kind of surprise you and you changed and you tried it? Do you experiment with it at all? Yes, 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 and yes. <laughs> <laughs> I thought so. <laughs> so I would say that when I'm struggling with sleep, for example, a good demonstration would be if I've traveled back home to England, jet lag is pretty tough, eight hour time difference. And I'm lying there in bed. I've just, you know, first night in the UK, my melatonin peak is not coming in for another eight hours naturally, although usually that's the only time I will usually use melatonin. But I'm going to struggle, I know, for the most part. I should probably do an episode, by the way, separately on jet lag and tips for jet lag, because there is a regimen that you can do to lessen it. You can't do anything to cure it, but you can lessen it. And I'll come back to that. I should do an episode. Mental note made. But at that point, to your first question, yes, that is where sleep knowledge is a curse rather than a blessing, because I'm lying there in bed, and I essentially become the sort of Woody Allen neurotic of the sleep world where I know everything that is not happening in my brain. I know everything that is going to be happening the next day as a consequence of the absence of sleep that is not occurring in my brain at that time. I know why it's not occurring. I know that my <laughs> erexin levels are still switched on. It is up in the hypothalamus. It is not shutting down the brainstem. I'm not getting a reduction in the activating chemicals of things like histamine, noradrenaline, serotonin. I know that my prefrontal cortex is not. And at that point, you are dead in the water for the next two hours in terms of your sleep. So it is very, uh, it's very unwelcome for those very rare circumstances. Overall, it is an absolute blessing and a joy because when I've had my battles with insomnia and one of them occurred once I had become a sleep scientist, I was able to very quickly nip it in the bud and bring myself back to optimize sleep quite quickly. Hmm. When I have had a singular rough night of sleep, I know what things I need to look out for. I know that I need to be mindful of my eating behavior. I need to resist reaching. And I definitely notice my increase in appetite when I haven't slept well, and I know how to sort of de-risk that, I will go lighter at the gym. I will be even more thoughtful as I'm driving to the gym in the morning when I've had a bad night of sleep. I will double and triple check at junctions, even when the green light is on. I'm just that much more diligent. So it, I think it's helpful in that sense. And then the final thing which you mentioned is that as I am learning new things about sleep, I will experiment and I will try them or I will just double down on things. So there was a paper that came out that demonstrated recently that, and I tweeted this out, that sleep regularity, perhaps as if not even more powerfully than the total amount of sleep that you're getting, but the regularity of your sleep is even more predictive of your mortality risk. And so it really did emphasize to me, okay, Matt, on days when, and I am pretty regular, but just keep that in mind. And it it's never left me since I read that paper. And I can remember, I have a strange mind where I find it very difficult to forget things. And I can still immediately see the effect size chart in that paper 
comparing total sleep quantity versus sleep regularity and how much sleep regularity, even more than quantity, was predictive of your mortality. And it, it re-impresses the need upon me to stay that regularity. Regularity in some ways buys you health freedom. We often think of regularity as being a brittle thing, and it means that we're inflexible and not particularly free because we're inculcated into our routines. But au contraire, I think it provides immense freedom in the sense of your physiological health. I agree. It gives the body the option to just go to its defaults, and then it's just optimal function in so many levels, and you just don't have to think about it anymore, and you're just more free to do other things. What you just said there, and you'll remember I do this in our lab meetings too, where I have I go back and re-impress in my mind what you just said. You essentially said that the body in some ways always wants to provide health. It's always trying to seek out optimal health. And it's what we call homeostasis. And when you allow the body and you try to give it the optimized conditions for it to do its own thing, it's usually really very good at doing that thing called health. But often we put in the way so many of these roadblocks, including with sleep, And if only you were to just give it back, and regularity is one of many things that you can give it back, it will transact usually much better sleep and health as a consequence. Totally agree. That's a really good note to end. (laughs) It is. It's upbeat and positive considering how rather dark and negative some of the content has been. I'm so sorry, folks, but that is going to be the end of any personal stuff that I will ever speak about in public because as folks now know, I am so desperately boring. So no more, no mass, and we will get back to science in the next episode and also in our next AMA. So for now, I will finish up. I hope this type of stuff is interesting. I hope you don't mind that we go really granular. We go very deep on these topics I'm a little bit scattered brain sometimes, but that's why Etty is here to corral us back into a thematic picture. Let us know if you do enjoy that, or you would much prefer me to be answering more briefly with punctate answers that don't necessarily go down to that granular depth. You tell us. But other than that, I will offer two bouts of thanks. The first is to Dr. Etty Ben-Simone. Thank you again. You are wonderful for joining. Everyone is absolutely loving your presence on this show, unsurprisingly. So thank you. Oh, it's my pleasure. And thank you to everyone listening. We will see you again both in another AMA, and I will see you again in another Stock Standard episode. So for now, please take care, sleep in a regular fashion. Do not be ashamed if you're a night owl. Take care and bye for now. Thank you very much. Bye, everyone.